Sales Tuners, Episode 94, Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver. If a potential customer sees no differentiation between a product or service, between any two people selling it, okay, they're always going to go with who has the lowest price. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Milton Friedman, who said the most important single central fact about a free market is that no exchange takes place unless both parties benefit. For the past 25 years, today's guest, Bob Berg, has shared the most powerful concept of his best-selling book, The Go-Giver, in front of audience ranging from 50 to 15,000 at conferences around the world. He has shared the stage with top business leaders, Olympic athletes, and even a former U.S. president. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 94. But now let's get to the conversation where Bob talks about his love of being able to truly connect with an audience. I just really do love the work. I love the topics that I get to speak about. And uh, it's always fun when you connect with an audience and you kind of see that they have accepted the message and received the message and and you really hope they're going to take action on that message. And then when you hear from them through email or some other way online at social media, whatever that they have, uh, there's really nothing, nothing like it. Well, Bob, in this show, as you know, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that's led to your success. But I want to start by getting an understanding of what bird communication is and tell me about how you spend your days right now. I've been speaking professionally for quite a while, as you as you mentioned, but we also have a team of certified go-giver speakers certain uh, public events we put on and we have informational materials and so forth, including a number of books, but that's pretty much it. What about you? How do you actually spend your days today? Talk to me about that. It sort of depends what I have going on. For example, right now, because we just had a new book come out a while ago, I'm doing tons and tons and tons of interviews on those. So it has my days pretty filled, but always with a lot of fun. Sure. Definitely staying busy. Well, you haven't always been uh, this day, uh, this kind of guy forever with uh, your calendar completely loaded. So take me way back. How did you actually get into sales? Well, I began as a broadcaster. I was first in radio as a sports guy and then in television as a a news guy. Uh, It was a very small ABC affiliate in the Midwestern U.S., I was not very good at it. I was 24 years old at the time, had no real knowledge of the news itself and really didn't care. (laughs) And I wasn't really long for that business, but I I did graduate into sales, which turned out to be a a really cool thing for me because that's that's what I love. Now, for the first few months, I didn't think so because I, I knew nothing about sales and the training at the company where I first worked was, we'll say negligible at best. But Fortunately, I stumbled into a a bookstore, and this is about 40 years ago now, and I remember being in the business section, and and there was actually a thing that said sales books, and I thought, what? Sales books? There's such a thing? Books that show you how to sell? I really, I didn't know it was a thing. I, I just didn't know that. And so I got a couple of books. One was by Zig Ziglar. Another was by Tom Hopkins. 
And I remember taking them home. And as I like to say, I didn't read them. I devoured them. And I studied and practiced and took notes and practiced some more and rehearsed and practiced some more and applied the information, of course. And really within a few weeks, my sales began to go through the roof, which was really something for me. I mean, there was a methodology there. And that was just, uh, to me, that was an epiphany. And it, it caused me to realize that you can pretty much accomplish most things if you have a system for doing so. Now, some people are really brilliant. They can create their own systems. That would not be me. Yeah, me neither. Okay, I seek out systems. and But the good thing is we can learn. And pretty much anything we want to do has already been done by someone, and they've most likely documented it. And if you're willing to pay for it, and uh, whether that's reading a book or, or just going online and watching videos or go to their seminar or whatever, you can learn too. To this day, I personally define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. The key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A, and you'll eventually get the desired result of of B. And I know you teach a system and, and you're helping lots of people to, to greatly increase their sales and the number of people they can serve through that system. And so uh, I think that's really, you know, that's really a key. When we talked before, Bob, you said that, you know, that, that proven system or the ability to get your hands on that proven system is the thing that has led to your success. Do you remember what it was, what those method, uh, 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 specific steps were in the beginning that kind of had that aha moment for you? It, well, the aha moment was just really realizing there were steps. But I think, you know, if you read any of Zig Ziglar's books or Tom Hopkins books or Brian Tracy's books or any of the books that, you know, from uh, the, uh, while sales has certainly evolved in certain ways, I think the principles are still the same principles. Successful salespeople do things in a certain way. It begins with focusing on on the other person, on bringing value to others, understanding that that that's why people are going to do business with you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And to me, that's what aligns to uh, one of your first, you know, the law of value from the five laws of stratospheric uh, success, you know, that your income is determined by how much you give value to others uh, than the payment you actually take. But break that down further for me. How do you actually start that in motion? Well, when we say, you know, about giving more in value than you take in payment, and, and that can be, that can sound confusing to someone when they first hear it, right? Because it sounds like you're saying you don't make a profit, which of course is the very opposite. A go-giver makes a very big profit for the reason that they are not selling on price, they're selling on high value. So, so what does that really mean, give more in value than you take in payment, and why is that so profitable? Uh, well, we first have to understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It simply is what it is. It's the price. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth to someone, uh, so much value to someone that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you make a, a healthy profit. Uh, could I share a quick example? Oh, please. So let's say you hire an accountant to do your taxes. 
And this accountant charges you, we'll just name a round figure, uh, charges you $1,000. That is his fee or literally his price, $1,000. But what value does he give you in exchange? Well, first, through his his years of, of study, through getting to know you and your business, through taking interest in what you're looking to accomplish, your goals, learning about how you do what you do, he is able to save you well over $5,000 in taxes. He's also able to save you countless hours of time. And he provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So here, first, before anything, we see that again, while money is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of that $5,000. That's pretty easy to get our arms around, but it can also be conceptual in terms of that peace of mind, which probably holds more value to you than even the money that you've saved. So what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 price or cash value. So you feel great about it, but he also made a very, very healthy profit because to him, it's worth selling his wisdom and his time for $1,000. To him, that's a very, very good profit. So like in any free market-based exchange, there are always two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because both parties come away better off afterwards than they were beforehand. There's so much good stuff there, uh, Bob, with that. I got to ask though, when do you think is the first time you discovered that notion of the law of value? Do Do you remember it? Yes, I do. Because even when I was starting to do well in sales, there were times I I slipped into the, it's about me type of thing. And which I think a lot of young salespeople do when they first start. Um, especially as you begin to first, you, you know, you love your product. And so you, you just really feel like, wow, this product is so cool. It's going to help everyone. But we don't know that. And we don't know what that other person Right. So, so, you know, so remember selling more than anything else isn't about us. It's not about our products. Selling by definition is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, desires, and helping them to get it. But we can forget that from time to time. And I loved sales. So to me, it was all about selling and, you know, the sale and, and I, you know, and I kind of got thrown off track. And I I take full responsibility for that. But I remember coming back to the office one day, I was selling a rather high ticket item by this time for for another company. One of the older guys there, I say older, uh, probably my age now, right? (laughs) But back then he was a much older guy and I was a young salesperson and he must've seen me looking kind of dejected. And he said, Berg, can I share some uh, something with you. And by the way, he was not in the sales department. I think he was in engineering or something, but he was a very wise man. Yeah. And I, I said, yeah, sure, uh, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in business, actually, he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he continued, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, that money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It's not the target itself. Your target is serving others. 
I definitely want to come back to that, but I want to stay on this notion of the law of value. So uh, why do you think so many, especially young reps, have this challenge of moving from what something costs uh, over to the value side. Cause I remember when I was just starting out, like I could, I could think about what my hourly rate was or, or how much I paid for the products or, or different things like that. And, and I had a hard time saying, well, gosh, the price is three times that four times that five times that, or even 10 times that. What do you think it is that holds people back when they're first getting started? Well, it's very natural <laughs> because the, uh, customer wants you to justify the, the price and you want to make the sale. And especially if, if there's competition out there who's offering at a lower price, you, we know that, and I think every salesperson intuitively knows that if a customer cannot, if a cust, if a potential customer sees sees no differentiation between a product or service between any two people selling it, okay, they're they're always going to go with who has the lowest price. Okay. And the fact is most products and services today are pretty much equal, right? Technology is leveled off the playing field. So that puts you in a tough position. It, it gets you to think, well, I mean, <laughs> what else can I do? I mean, my product's really no different. Uh, uh, so I've got to sell at a lower price than my competition, but that's a losing game. And it's a losing game actually for everyone. It's, it's a losing game for the person who, who, who doesn't get the sale. Obviously it's a losing proposition for the salesperson who gets the sale too. Because if you're selling on too low a price, you don't have the margin in there that's going to allow you to operate profitably and comfortably. You're always gonna have to be chasing down the next sale at an even lower margin to try to bring some cash flow in and keep the company going. Uh, also, you don't have a loyal customer. And as soon as that customer is offered a lower price from someone else, they're gonna leave you. The interesting thing is, you know who else loses in this? The customer who pays too low a price. How's that? Because they're gonna because they're gonna find that their salesperson can't either can't stay in business long enough to be able to service them when there's a challenge, or because they're always having to hustle for more business at a low margin, uh, they don't have the time to service them. As you started to unpack that right there at the end, I, I, I remembered, I read, um, it was the HubSpot uh, training manual about how they teach their sales reps to go to market. And you hit on something that's really important that they say is that like, look, if we don't sell this for the value that it actually uh, serves the client, we're not going to be in business long enough to continue providing and serving value for them and make the investments and add the resources that we need to grow their businesses just as much as we are, we do ours. So I thought that was absolutely incredible. One of the ways I've seen this recently, I won't mention uh, the client, who knows, they may be listening, but uh, he, he came to me one day when we were finalizing the contract uh, to work with his team. And he said, Jim, you know, the, um, the hourly rate that I'm paying you is almost two times what I pay my New York attorney. How do you justify that? And, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I looked at him and I'll, I'll say Adam, which is not his real name. But I said, Adam, here's the deal. Uh, first of all, I don't charge hourly. So you got to get this hourly rate notion completely out of your head. I'm not doing that. I said, but second of all, how much has that New York attorney that you're telling me about made you in revenue? And he said, well, well none. And I said, OK, uh, how much in just the first 30 days of working together have I added to your bottom line or not even your bottom to your top line? And, you know, he out a pretty big number. It was at least five figures. I said, and, and I'm charging you a small minuscule part of that. So help me understand why we're even comparing your New York City attorney. 
And, and he got it at that point. But it, it's interesting because the only reason or the only way I was able to do that is because I've been doing this for 15 years and I had the confidence in what it is that I do. But I'm trying to think, and that's why I'm trying to pick your brain a little bit, like how do we get people to see that? How do we get people to, to or how do we teach people that and, and, and get them to do it as early as possible? You want to make sure that you take it off of comparing apples and apples and, and make it comparing apples and oranges, which is what you did. Unless your last name is Walmart, making low price your unique selling proposition is not a good way to do business. And I want every young salesperson who comes into the sales profession to understand that, that rather than trying to sell on low price, they need to be selling on high value. But again, you've got to ask yourself the question. So, you know, I know why I would want to do it that way, but why would my customer agree to pay me more? And for that, since most products and services are pretty much the same, you've got to be that additional value. And so the question might be, well, how? And the answer is there are probably hundreds of ways to communicate that additional value, but they tend to come down to five, what we call elements of value. And those five are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you and everyone on your team can communicate any one or more of those, hopefully all five at every single touch point from when you first meet that person, from when they walk into the office or when they call on the phone to all the way through the relationship building process and every guest or every uh, prospect contact to the actual sales process, to the, the servicing, to the referral aspect, to the degree that you can communicate that, that's the degree that you will take price and the competition out of the picture. And you talked about earlier the, the sage advice that you got from what I think was someone you said from the, the engineering team. They said, your target is not the money. Your target is serving others. And I feel like that lines up with what you call your law of compensation in that your income is determined by how many people you can serve and how well uh, you serve them. And then therefore, your reward uh, is money. But if, if I'm the guy sitting here looking at the, the leaderboard and I'm looking at the quota that I've got to still retire yet this month or quarter, how do I switch that mindset to go from, gosh, I got to hit this quota to I got to serve these people when, again, the boss, the manager, et cetera, is breathing down my neck? Well, for this, you've got to understand why while you do have a quota, I mean, that's just real world. That's what you have. That's not going to be why someone buys from you. So if you go prospecting or calling upon your, your prospective customers or clients with your quota in mind, they're going to be much less likely to buy from you. So you're going to have to temper what we call temporarily suspend your self-interest, not lose your self-interest because you're, you're a human being. I'm a human being. We are self-interested creatures. It's, it's how our cave person ancestors survived. Okay. But part of self-interest of course, is looking out for others, especially within your tribe, those who will benefit you and who you can benefit. But going back to that, that just means that rather than try to deny our self-interest, we just need to suspend it. So when you go in to see your prospective customer, you've got to go in there with the idea of how do I serve him or her? And you do that by asking questions and listening, really listening 
discovering what they need, want, desire, what problems you can help them solve or what you can give. And only after you've listened and you know, (laughs) and you've confirmed with them that what you think they're looking for is what they're actually looking for. Now you can tie the benefits of your product or service with what they need, want, or desire, what's going to help them. Uh, And then you have the best chance of, of completing that sale. If I had Chris Voss on the show, probably, I don't know, three, three months ago now, and he's absolutely incredible. He talked about the notion, Bob, of, of tactical empathy. And, and, and it feels like it's just becoming a common theme with every guest that I'm bringing on the show. Yes, we have to listen. Yes, we have to have the empathy. But a lot of us, we have, as you just said, well, not a lot of us, all of us have, as you said, uh, that self-interest. And so I, I'm loving this idea of suspending it while you're going into it. And that's where Chris talks about it as, as a tactical empathy. You have to be tactically empathetic so that you can truly understand what they need and then and package it up and deliver it to them instead of just forcing and pitching uh, your product down their throat. Well, and Chris talked about that first in the way of, of negotiating with a hostage taker. Yeah, that's right. And you think, well, that's about as, as logical a thing as you can imagine, right? They want a certain thing. You want the hostage unharmed. And yet that's not what it's about. It's about making that hostage taker actually feel understood, feel listened to. I mean, you know, it, it should almost be surprising, yet under knowing human nature, it's really not surprising. It's hilarious that even as you said that, all I could think of immediately was his words, that's right. And if, that's right, right. If you can get him to say, you're right. That's, that's right, right instead yeah. of you're right. It's incredible. It's, uh, it's so good. Well, this leads me, if you, we go away from that notion of self-interest, this leads me into that notion of, of influence. You call it the law of influence. And, uh, but you know, th- there's so many people out there today talking about influence and how to get it. And you know, there's even influencer marketing. And I know you have the go-giver influencer, but what really is influence? Well, I think influence can be defined on a couple different levels. On a very, very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's basically what influence is. Now, that's its definition. I don't believe that that's its essence. The essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push. Uh, As in the age-old question, how far can you push a rope? And we know the answer is not very far, at least not very fast or very effectively. On the other hand, if you pull a rope and you pull it gently, you can pretty much lead that rope where you want to go. This is why great influencers don't push. Uh, they, They pull. A pull is an attraction. Great influencers attract people. They don't push. They're not pushy. Uh, You don't hear people say, wow, that person's so influential. She has a lot of push. No, she has a lot of pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves first and only then to their idea. How do they do it? Well, they do it by what we've been talking about, really, which is focusing on them. Uh, You know, Dale Carnegie in his classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, talk about influence, right? I always believed that the underlying premise in that book is where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons. That's right. Not our reasons. So the genuine, the great influencer is always asking questions of the other person. Well, actually, they're asking themselves questions to make sure they're doing it right. For example, you know, the, a great influencer asks themselves questions like, how 
does what I'm asking this other person to do align with their goals, right? Their wants, their needs, their desires. How does what I want this person to do align with their values? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another person into do another human being into doing our will, uh, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment rather than trying to depend on some type of compliance, uh, some manipulation or or, or, you know, something that's, that's kind of yucky. Right. Uh, and, and, and this is, you know, really what influence is it's, it's pull. So I, you know what I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes. I, I get what you're saying and, and I agree with it. And then I'm sitting here thinking about all the people who call me and they're saying to me, Jim, I need you to come in. I need you to teach my sales reps how to close deals. And in my opinion, you can't, the problem is not at the end. The problem is not in actually closing the deal. The problem is in discovery and it's opening up and understanding what really happened. But I can hear people, I hear them, but I can see them. I can hear them in my head thinking as they're listening to the show, this is all great. It's all about abundance mentality. Give before I get yada, yada, yada. But again, I have a quota to hit, Bob. How do I retire that by the end of the month? I don't have time to do all this empathetic listening that you're talking about. I need these people to buy. Okay, so let's let's look at that then, uh, because I think that's important. Because the question is really okay. Yeah, this sounds good, and I can do that once I'm successful and don't need the money. But right now, so so let's look at a situation. Let's go to a real life situation. You have a quota to meet. Uh, you need for this sale to happen. So you go in there, and you have a prospect in front of you. Okay, and again, let's talk real world. You need this to happen now. So you go in there. And you, you just start talking about your product, trying to talk this person into buying. Okay. Uh, you know, they, they have some questions, but you don't really have time for all this empathetic listening stuff. So you interrupt, which they love, of course, because prospects, of course, love being interrupted when they ask a question. <laughs> uh, and you, you start, you know, closing them from the very beginning because you need the money. Okay. And, uh, you know, y- you you ask them some questions, but it's always so that you can sharp angle them into finding out if they're ready to buy from you. Now, is this person, do you think, more likely or less likely to buy from you today? Oh, in my opinion, much less likely. Sure. Much less likely, of course, because that's human nature. Now, let's go back to the situation. You still need to make this sale. You, you have a quota to meet, uh, you know, what have you. But now you're going to temporarily suspend your self-interest because you know that the way you just tried it doesn't work, (laughs) okay? So now you're in front of this prospect and you're about to do a presentation. But now you are focused on them. You are focused on what value you can bring them. So you go into a discovery and you take as much time in this discovery as it needs to learn everything you can about this person and how you can best serve them based on what they are looking to accomplish. When they have a question, you welcome it. You answer the question, you tie it into what they're looking to accomplish, which you've learned through discovery. And you help this person see how owning this product or service is going to benefit them in their life. Are they more likely or less likely to buy from you today? 
Well, I think if they give you the time to go through that, they're definitely more likely. But what I hear from a lot of people today is that, hey, we just want to see the demo. Just just show us the stuff, signature material. We're making a decision this week. We don't have time for all this stuff. So you don't have that sale if that's the case anyway, no matter how badly you want the sale. You have got to be able to ask them a question which gets them to open up and so forth. And of course you do that. And it depends what you, I don't have the magic question. It depends upon what you sell, but you need to ask a question and you should be prepared for this because if this is what's happening all the time, well, you know it, right? So you can prepare for it. So you need to have one or two questions that immediately cuts through and, and, uh, helps you to, to, um, engage this person. Let's go back to Chris Voss's book again. He told a wonderful story in there about a woman who sells, uh, uh, who was selling pharmaceutical products and the doctor who she was trying to sell to, he kind of heard the same thing from everybody. And so he really didn't give anybody the time of day other than what your, your people are complaining about. And he would just say, tell them whatever. And she said, you know, there's nothing about this product or service or this product that I have that's going to make you, or that's going to cause you to buy because you don't care about the product. You care about how it's going to affect your patients. That's your interest, isn't it? And he said, yeah. He said, actually, he said, that's right. <laughs> and it just changes the entire dynamic. It changed of the, the entire thing. And yeah. she, exactly. And so, but no, for anything of any kind of substance where you need to separate yourself from the competition or you need to have, they need to have a reason for purchasing. Um, no, you're going to have to engage that person. You're going to have to ask, and you're going to have to genuinely care. It's not a matter of asking questions robotically because you know you have to. They'll sense that. No, you've got to really genuinely care. You know, it's funny, Bob, when I was talking to you earlier today, you you said one of the hardest things you had to do in your career, you know, is overcome self-doubt, which a lot of us do. And I'm sitting here thinking about the things you're saying right now. It's like, yeah, the go-giver mentality can work once I've been successful. And I've always been taught, well, ever since I truly got into real sales, is that you have to act as if you've already made it. You've already got the millions in the bank. You've already got all that. And that's a hard thought exercise to go through. But when I think back to, uh, the, you know, the, one of the, or I guess maybe the first apex in my career, I, I truly was able to walk into boardrooms, fortune 50 boardrooms without a care in the world. I knew the income I was making. I didn't need another sale, but it, it did change my mentality. So how do we make that, that mental shift? And I, and I get what you're saying already that we got to have a true empathy and uh, passion for listening, but I noticed in my own self that I, once I did make it, all of this became easier. But when I'm at the bottom, striving and scratching and clawing for everything that I have, how do I just make that shift? You've got to make the shift instead of making excuses for not making the shift. Oh, that's good. And it, and it doesn't mean that you pretend you're something you're not. It just means you tap into who you actually are. You're a person who is about to be fi very financially successful. Right now, you're doing the work to make it happen, and you're doing that through bringing value to others. See, the pressure on yourself is thinking you have to be it, that it's about you. When you shift your focus, when you move from an I focus or me focus to an other focus, it's not about you. It's about them, and that takes the pressure off, and that allows you to be more confident because it's about them.
that ties into one of the other notions you have and it's that idea of letting uh, let go of the the need or or having to be right and it took me a long time uh, to overcome that but bob I, I feel like i could talk to you all day but i do want to be cognizant of your time and so i'm going to take a quick break so i can say thank you to my sponsor but when we come back it's going to be time for the money round so you don't go away and sales tuners you don't go away either we'll be right back you've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now but you have to check out costello it's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Bob, are you ready for the money round? I believe I am. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Deciding to be a learner, understanding that I didn't have to know it because there were other people that did. And if I would tap into other people's knowledge and other people's wisdom, that was going to be a, a stepping stone to my own success. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Depending upon what I was selling, I would um, determine who my market was, who my best market was, and I would find a way to get around them or the people who could get me to them. Two-part question for you here. Uh, which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I would like to say that I love to win because I think that's cooler than I hate to lose because I, I love to win is about prosperity and abundance and I hate to lose is about lack. But we also know that the fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. So as a human being, I've also got to go with what I know is human nature. And we would much rather not lose <laughs> than we would to win. Though I still want to say I love to win. What's a book, Bob, besides your own that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Oh, it's a book called The Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E. He actually wrote this in the 60s. It did not get published till soon after he, he passed, about 10 years or so ago. Uh, he was an absolutely brilliant, brilliant man the, who had a, an immense understanding of and respect for human nature. And so the, the book was really two parts. It was about understanding human nature. The second part was tying sales into human nature. And it's absolutely, absolutely a gem. I like the sound of that. I'm checking out myself. And sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Bob's suggestion of the secret of selling anything for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for the secret of selling anything. Bob, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Well, unlike most people, I don't have a bucket list. Never really did. <laughs> if there were things I wanted to do, I, you know, did them. It, and most things I really don't want to do. <laughs> I really enjoy my life as it is. I live what probably most people would think of as a very, very boring life. And I love it. So I just, I love what I'm doing right now. I can't think of anything that I want to do that I would, I would put it in any kind of bucket and, and shoot at, shoot at it for a goal. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Take your focus off yourself and, and put it on others and watch what happens. It's going to, it's going to free you up. And remember, there's nothing about that that says 
that you're any less shy about the sale or that you don't close the sale and so forth. No, go-givers make a lot of money. They make more money than most others because they focus on the, the immense value they're providing others as opposed to the price. But they always know it's not about them and it's not even about their product or service. It's about the other person. I sure hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Uh, to check out all of Bob's books on the topic, go to thegogiver.com and you'll also be able to dive deeper into the five laws of stratospheric success that we talked about today. All right, let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, accomplish more with a system. I liked Bob's personal definition of a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles, with the key being predictability. What I've seen is that pretty much anything we want to do has already been done. So if you'll put in the work and do the research to find the processes that worked for those that came before us, well, we can attain our desired results in much less time. Number two, don't have money be your target. If you set out on any venture with money being your main driver, you're going to end up taking some shortcuts that could do long-term harm. Your target should be serving others. Now understand that when you hit that target, you'll get a reward that comes in the form of money, and you can do with that money whatever you choose. Another way to think of it is this. There are always two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because both parties come away better off afterwards than they were beforehand. Number three, pull instead of push. Influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, but the essence of influence is to pull them as opposed to push them. Great influencers attract people to themselves first and then to their idea. You'll notice this also takes the pressure off of you. When you focus on the other person, you'll gain more confidence because all you really care about is figuring out how the other person succeeds. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.